The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Our scripture text this morning is found in John chapter 13. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And that will be great. John chapter 13, and I'll begin reading from the second verse. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed (coughs) does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray. Father, use this time of teaching on the part of our pastor to bring glory and honor to you and edification and encouragement to these, your sheep. For the sake of your son, I pray this. Amen. I'm sure you're familiar with the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus taught both with absolute words of truth and with actions that illustrate truth. This humble act of washing his disciples' feet, think of it as a living parable, a living parable that communicates his ministry, the necessity of the cross, our our daily walk in this world. People listen all the more when they know how much you care for them. And this is what's so, what I think of is our Pastor Dale. Not only 
a wonderful communicator of God's truth. But over the years, he demonstrated it in seemingly small, humble acts of service. This is the example that he's set, and we've seen it duplicated in the ministry of Pastor Jim, always with minion balloons in hand. There, I think he has hired people at each hospital to let him know. He seems to know before anyone else where to be, how to serve, to love people in practical ways. And I love, you know, Pastor Dale set that example. And I know Pastor Jim would say, I do what I do because of what Pastor Dale, the example that he set for me. We see it in in Pastor Bill. He and Jessica, so wonderful at being there, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, bringing a meal, a gift, so thoughtful in so many ways. Me, I like coffee. I like buying you coffee. I have a ways to go. So, but call me. I like questions. You know, when Jen and I first came to Bear Creek Church, we experienced Pastor Dale being very approachable. Man, that the second time we were there, he knew our kids' names. And we just thought, this is unlike any pastor that we've ever had before. Um, Jen, just, you know, two months, I think, after we had been a part of the church, just two months, you know, not, not too many people are going to know who we are. Jen's diagnosed with cancer. And we're shook by this. And I'll never forget, so small, but so memorable. We're at home. We're dealing with the news. Our phone rings. And it's Pastor Dale. He's, hey, I don't want to disturb your evening. Just want to let you know. There's some ice cream on your porch. What pastor does that? Huge. How many fences? How many, you know, I've helped with, I think, one swing set, right? Just kind of holding while you were putting stuff together. How many fences? How many swing sets has um, he helped construct in a Jesus-like example to us? I love that. I love that our elders and deacons are so good about helping with projects. And if you need to move, we're there to help set up and clean up. I think God has blessed us with a church that rents to where we have to set up and clean up. Because it gives so many opportunities for people to serve. I love that we have a bunch of humble servant leaders. Jesus will be teaching his disciples over the next four chapters of the Gospel of John. But he begins his teaching right here. Not with words, but with action. With service. And this communicates so much. It illustrates much of what he's going to say later. 
it sets an example for all of his disciples, an example that tells us to not think too highly of ourselves, to not put our preferences, our wants, before what may be the different preferences and wants of others within the church family. A few weeks ago, I gave that, um, okay, somewhat silly, hypothetical um, scenario of, remember, the very long hug Jesus line. Uh, we, in our resurrected bodies, and, and it's baffled me how we have a physical body. Jesus has a physical body. Everybody wants to hug him. It's going to be a long line, right? I don't know. But so I gave that, and then I said, you know, billions of people ahead of us, I said, but it's going to be a great line. Why? Remember why I said it's going to be a great line? We'll be without sin. No, really, you go ahead of me. In the new earth, with resurrected bodies, we'll be without sin. We won't be impatient with each other. We'll prefer the interests of others. There'll be a bunch of people saying, no, you. That's the ideal. That's the goal that we should all be mindful of this side of glory. No, really, let me serve you. Or, hey, let's not assume someone else is going to serve as a buddy or a teacher or in the nursery. How about we do it? Or, yeah, that's not my preference, but I'm glad others are blessed by it. I think I'll pray for my attitude and put them before me. There are so many applications for us. And it's sad when I hear people leaving a church over personal preferences. There are a few very small, I mean, not small in significance. There's only a few reasons people should leave a church. Personal preferences is not one of them. We are a family. But people leave hoping to find a church with what? People that are more like them. Does that describe the kingdom of God? Does that describe the family of God? Avoiding typical, think of them as family-like opportunities to practice godly patience. You know, sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus as we look for opportunities to love to humbly serve, to serve people who maybe have different likes, different preferences than us. No, really. You first. Picture this scene with Jesus and his disciples. In that day, people would wear sandals, and their feet would get dirty and stinky. And they were, if they were a guest, at someone's house, it was the duty of the host to provide a servant to wash people's feet. Meals, you're not sitting in chairs and high tables. Low tables, reclining on the floor with pillows, feet out, 
close to noses. Washing feet, really important for enjoying that that meal. Jesus made arrangements to borrow this room so there's no servant. And we can imagine a basin and a washed house sitting by the door. person that he borrowed the room for at least provided that. And everyone comes in the room, kind of making their way over, you know, reclining, sitting down. Making their way over to the table where Jesus is reclined at. And there's this, I imagine, awkward silence. Where everybody begins to realize there's no servant. Somebody should do the foot washing. There's a pause. There's a, there's a thought. Who, who was the last disciple? Who's the, who's the low on the pecking heart? Maybe Thomas will do it. No, I doubt it. And then Jesus gets up. Jesus gets up, strips his clothes off to his loincloth, wraps a towel around his waist. Wow. And he begins to wash their feet. Before speaking about God's love, Jesus shows them God's love. D.A. Carson called it a display of love, a symbol of saving cleansing, and a model for us of Christian conduct. In light, think of it, in light of who Jesus is, this is a marvelous example of how we ought to be. A chore that people considered too menial of a task for even a Jewish slave. And the king of glory performs it. One by one, he poured the water, he wiped the filth from their feet, and John gives us a couple of significant details in our text. Look at verse 2, or look at verse 2. He tells us, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Why does John tell us that? Some suggest that John is giving us a contrast. A contrast between the spirit within Judas and the spirit displayed by Jesus. Judas moved by Satan and Jesus moved by the loving will of God. Pride, humility. Judas who complained when Mary used expensive perfume to wipe Jesus' feet. And now, what was Judas thinking? Their master does the work of a slave, a servant. Judas, his treasure, 30 pieces of silver. Jesus, his treasure of his, his own and their heart's. Judas thinking of his own self-interest and Jesus giving himself in service for the sake of others. 
And these contrasting spirits, they continue to this day because Paul tells us that Satan is the god of this world. And what he means by that is the world displays the traits, the the characteristics. Society is motivated by the same spirit of pride and selfishness. While we, believers, we follow after Christ. We follow in His Spirit, a model, modeling a life of loving and humble sacrifice for the sake of others. What a contrast. And how humble, how, how this stands out as those who are dwelt by the Spirit of God, how we ought to be. Christ is our example. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that we are to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So John gives us this detail showing this contrast. And another detail is found in verse 3. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Think of it. Don't underestimate what this is saying. Jesus actually knew who he was. Don't underestimate that. He actually, this is telling us, knew who he was. All things, all authority belonged to him. And soon he would be returning to a place where he was not belittled, a place where he was not questioned or doubted, but to a place where the seraphim surround him crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And with this in mind, wouldn't it be natural for us to think that Jesus, very much aware of his authority, that he would stand and demand some respect? That he would claim his greatness and tell them to get that basin and wash his feet. And it wouldn't have been wrong. Because he is worthy. He really is awesome and great. He really is perfect. He really is the king who is worthy of our humble service. And so this speaks all the more to the reality of what Jesus did do. One author wrote, Think of the Holy One who came down from heaven thus engaged with sinners, the majestic being whom angels adore, abasing himself to the occupation of a menial servant. How completely unexpected. How this should move us to worship him and love him and repent of our devil-inspired pride. And think of it, what does this act of Jesus tell us about God, about the Father? 
people so wrongly contrast Jesus as meek and mild and nice and that God of the Old Testament being stern and mean. No, remember later, the next chapter in John, Jesus tells his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So in seeing Jesus serve in this way, what does it tell us about God? Jesus shows us that God is also tender. He's also compassionate. He cares for our needs. And what is the chief end of man? To glorify God. To show the world what God is like. And yes, we are dealing with so much craziness and we are to confront the lies of our culture But if Jesus, knowing his own deity, actually takes up a bowl of water and a towel and washes feet, wouldn't this suggest, wouldn't this tell us that our, what our representation of God should look like? How we might glorify him, that our communication of who he is ought to be humble that what people see in us ought to likewise be a display of that humility and tenderness and sacrificial love. Glorifying God in the world means that we take up the towel of Jesus. And how much more should this be true in the privacy of our own homes? Why is it? It's... Not sometimes, it's usually easier for us to be humble servants in the world, not faking it, we really mean it. And sadly, it's really hard to do the same at home. Maybe we we serve, we're humble, we're compassionate, and I don't know, we get home and we're tired and we think, okay, now it's time for someone else to serve me. I... I've heard um, counsel given to a lot of guys who just have that hard time coming home and telling them, you know what, pull over before you get home in your car, stop and pray and ask the Lord to give you energy to keep serving. And I think that's good advice. Long lines and households are going to be a lot different in glory. Because we will be without sin. Everyone will be saying, no, really, you go first. Let me serve you. We need to take up the towel of Jesus in our homes, in our marriages, in our friendships, at our church. And don't be elbowing the person next to you. Oh, I'm glad... He's here to hear that. Don't be waiting for one of the other 12 to get up and grab the towel. Don't wait for someone else to volunteer as a buddy. Nobody's getting up, by the way. We could use some servants, some foot washers. Maybe you should be the one to say, let it be me. Let me make dinner tonight. 
Let me do the dishes, take out the trash. Let me watch the kids so you can get some rest. Let me be the one to serve. What would you like? Jen's really glad I'm giving this message. (laughs) You try preaching someday. It's hard. No, really, I insist you go first. Verse 6. And Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. I love that. Right there. What I'm doing now you don't understand. Afterwards you will. You'll get it. You'll understand someday. How true. How many times in our lives do we not understand what God is up to? Lord, my feet? Lord, why didn't you heal her? Why this disability? Lord, I need work. I can't get a job. Lord, I really would like a spouse. We'd really like to have kids. We don't understand. There are so many things that we don't understand, and yet, what do we know? What do we try to remind you of continually? God is sovereign. He's in control. His word declares that he withholds no good thing from you. And we don't understand how these things are good. His word declares that he is working all things, all things for our good. And we just don't see, we don't understand how this circumstance might possibly be good. And Jesus says, you don't understand now, but afterward, someday, you will. I love this. I love the painful, confusing things of the past that make sense today and I can actually thank God for. I love that we have this hope where we know that one day we're going to understand and see that our sufferings, they were light, they were momentary compared or working this eternal weight of glory in us. And we will praise God for His glorious grace. I love that. Then Peter said to Jesus, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The word share in Greek generally means inheritance. So Jesus is telling Peter, unless he wash him, he cannot enter into a heavenly inheritance. There is a reality that's symbolized in this foot washing. Jesus' act of humility and washing Peter's Feet speaks of a greater humiliation of the cross. This foot washing is a very dramatic, think of it as a very dramatic illustration of the ministry of Jesus. There's details given that correspond to the ministry 
of Jesus. Don't lose these details. How they, how they tell us of Jesus' life. Jesus rose from his seat at supper. And we know that he rose from his heavenly throne to come into this world. Jesus laid aside his outer garment. And in Philippians 2, Paul describes Jesus setting aside his glory. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus took a towel and tied it around his waist. And Paul tells us that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And in a few hours, he would pour out his blood to cleanse us of our sin. And in completing this act, this personal parable that points to his ministry, Jesus rose, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place corresponding to his resurrection, his ascension to glory after he completed the work of the cross. And Hebrews 1, 3 states, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So as we see what this act of Jesus illustrated, we can better understand why Jesus responded the way he did to Peter. If Peter wouldn't let Jesus humble himself and wash his feet, then how how could he embrace the humiliation of the cross? If the blood of Jesus isn't applied to us for the cleansing of our sin, then we have no share with him. We have no part of the salvation he offers. Peter didn't understand, but he would. It's not by our works. It's not our acts of service. Not being a part of a religion. No, salvation is only by the cleansing work of Christ. Lots of people, they think of themselves as Christians because they've they've grown up in a Christian family. They've gone to church. They know they're not um, in the traditions of Judaism and Islam. So by default, they're Christian in America. People assume, I always think of Witness Wednesdays on Wretched Radio Podcast, interviewing these college students. Every time these people, when he's sharing the gospel with them, they assume they're good. People in general assume that they're good. And And yes, they know they're not perfect, but they take great comfort in that fact that they're not perfect because they know nobody's perfect. And they think if there's a God who judges people, certainly I'm better than a lot of people. I'm better than those bad people. So in other words, they don't realize their need of being cleansed by Jesus. They don't think their feet stink. They don't realize that Jesus must cleanse them. That his death must be applied to their guilt. They must embrace his cleansing work of the cross or they have no share, no inheritance of Jesus. If this is you, if you haven't embraced the fact that Jesus must 
wash you. If you think you're a Christian because of anything else, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share. You have no inheritance with me. If this is you, won't you come? We'd love to tell you more and point you to Jesus. So Peter got the message. He understood the seriousness of Jesus. And in Peter-like fashion, he likes to tell Jesus how to do things. And so he says, blurts out, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Don't you love Peter? And now Jesus gives another teaching, which speaks of our daily walk as followers of Christ. Have you ever been a part of a church where people think they can lose their salvation? Where people keep going up front over and over and over again to get saved? I grew up in a Baptist church. Eternal security was a really um, em- emphasized doctrine. But um, I think what we called it was rededicating our lives. <laughs> So in youth group, every time they showed an end times movie that scared the life out of me, I rededicated my life over and over and over again. What Jesus tells us here is that if you've been bathed, that is, if Jesus says you're clean, spiritually speaking, if he has saved you or cleansed you at the cross, you don't need to do it again. It's done. But you do need to have your feet washed. If you've come to him in faith, repenting of your sins and receiving the cleansing work of the cross, trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then you don't need to do it again. You're clean in his sight. Here's the picture in Jewish tradition. When people were invited over for dinner... Typically, they'd bathe. They'd bathe before coming over. But they'd walk through some dirty streets on the way. And so when they arrived, the only thing that needed to be cleaned was their feet. So if God declares that you belong to him through saving faith in Jesus, you're clean. The debt's paid. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees that you're in Christ. And because of this, you are, you're completely clean. Forever. You'll never be more clean than at that moment. You'll never be more clean than you are right now. You are in Christ Christ who is sinless, perfectly righteous, and this is how, wow, this is how God sees you. I love how A.W. Pink put it. The moment a sinner, drawn by the Holy Spirit, comes to Christ, he is completely and finally cleansed. It is the apprehension of this which gives a, a firm rock for my feet to rest upon. It assures me that my hope is a stable one. 
that my standing before God is immutable or unchanging. It banishes doubt and uncertainty. It gives the heart and mind abiding peace to know that the benefits I have found in Christ are never to be recalled. I am brought out from under condemnation and placed in a state of everlasting acceptance. I stand resplendent in the sight of God in all the Savior's beauty and perfections. Do you think of yourself that way? You should. God looks upon believers not merely as forgiven, but as righteous As truly as Christ was made sin for us, so we have been made the righteousness of God in him. Incredible. That's the good news. That's the truth of your salvation. And the enemy wants to cause you to doubt it. So the cleansing, it's a once for all time cleansing. In God's sight, you're you're robed in the righteousness of Christ and you never need a salvation bath again. But like the guests who come over to dinner, our feet get dirty as we walk in the world of sin. Our standing before God doesn't need an ongoing cleansing, but our walk as Jesus' disciples does. And so we bring... We need to bring our feet to Jesus, who will cleanse us, who is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us. Our walk is polluted by our sin. Jesus knows our sin. He knows our sinful thoughts. He knows the struggles of our heart. He knows our doubts and despair. And in knowing this, he does not condemn his own. He doesn't condemn us because we've been washed in the blood of the cross. We're forgiven. We're declared righteous. And Jesus is lovingly ready to wash our feet, to cleanse the sin of our daily walk. So please know, please take comfort in the fact that if Jesus has made you right with God then it's never at risk. If Jesus has cleansed you with his blood, then you are clean. The guilt is removed. God does not accept you one day because you had a good day and did some good things and then cast you out the next day because you walked through some mud of sin. If you are saved in Christ, then you are fully and finally accepted every day, forever. It's never because of your performance. It's always because of his performance. So because of the effects of sin, we must continually come to Christ each day and have him wash our feet. And I think this is what Martin Luther was getting at when he said that the entire life of a believer is to be one of repentance. Be aware each day of your sin. Repent of it. Come to Jesus for a foot washing. 
John, in his first epistle, wrote, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to give you a a foot washing. In closing, what can we learn from Judas? I say this because there's there's another significant detail in our text. Jesus said, not all of you are clean, referring to Judas. We need to remember that Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. He saw the miracles. He heard the glorious teaching of God's Son. But apparently, in pride... He never opened his heart to Jesus. He loved money. He loved status instead of being a part of God's family. And so even though Jesus washed his feet, he wasn't clean. The blood of the cross was never applied to him. Jesus knew this about Judas. He knew Judas would betray him. And yet, think of it. Jesus knew this about Judas. He knew Judas would betray him. And he still washed his feet. How humble. Jesus doesn't just teach with words, saying, love your enemy. He's doing it here. He actually did it. He showed it. He washed the feet of his betrayer. Keep in mind that if Judas lived in our day, he'd likely be a member of a church. Maybe even a deacon offering to help with the church's finances. No offense to you deacons. He was a part of the ministry of Jesus. He was sent with the other disciples doing miracles and preaching the kingdom of God. And yet, he wasn't truly saved. He wasn't washed in the blood of Christ. Are you? You do know that growing up in a Christian home doesn't mean that Jesus has made you clean. You know that serving in the church or being a buddy at Johnny and Friends doesn't make you one of Christ's own. You do know that getting baptized in the lake doesn't wash you of your sins. The only way you are clean is by recognizing the guilt of your sin and turning from it and turning to the one who has paid your penalty, trusting in Christ alone for all that he's done for you. It's not your goodness. It's his perfection that you need. You can't pay back the debt that you owe through coming to church and being good. No, turn from your sin. Look to Jesus for forgiveness. The cleansing that is yours only through his death, which pays your debt, and his works, which alone are perfect in God's sight, they are yours by faith in him. 
Trust in Him and you will be clean. Mm. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a humble love that we see in you. Because your Son has shown it to us, coming from his heavenly throne, laying aside his glory, taking the form of a servant, pouring out his cleansing blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection that Jesus has ascended. He is seated at your right hand, that he has all authority, that he's coming again. He'll make all things right. Our hope is in you. Thank you, Father, that by the Spirit, Jesus is ever with us. And that as we continue to struggle with sin, he's ready for us to come and have our feet washed, cleansing us of our daily sin. Lord, give us humble hearts, hearts that will come and confess and walk by your Spirit. What a humble Savior. Father, please conform us to him. Make us humble like Jesus. Help us to put the needs and preferences of others before our own, to not be selfish, but to glorify Jesus as we not only speak of him, but we demonstrate his beauty through our lives. Help us to be witnesses to the world and Jesus-like in our homes and in our church. Help us to truly live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.